It's Wednesday, January 27th, 2001. This is Messiah Matters number 330. I have no clue what we're talking about today. My name's Rob Van Hoff. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm Caleb Haig, and I don't have a clue either. <laughs> you threw me for, that was like a little monkey wrench there. What's up, man? How's it going? We're all over the place. That's okay. You know, not, not only are we, uh, are we having a little bit of technical uh, trouble, but... I have a ringing in my headphones, so that's going to be interesting for the rest of the day. I think I need new head- headphones. Okay. Fun times. What's going on, man? I think we're good now. Hello, everyone in the chat room. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Rob's in the chat room. I, I Well, I had to say hi to the Hackett's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, Rob's going to be out for the rest of the uh, show. I guess I'll be hosting. No, I noticed it looked like my camera was off or something. Yeah, I just moved it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm off. I I just said hi to Rod and Kelly, and then that's it. I'm out. So I can't read any things. I'm being a good boy. My headphones are freaking out. All right, I'm going to guess that it's all just in my headphones, and uh, that's that's all good. Or all in right. your head. Okay, yeah, well, Mike, Mike says that uh, everything looks and sounds good. All right, let's get going. We got a lot to talk about today. Actually, we don't. Uh, Rob and I have not prepared for this show. Should I admit that? Um, we uh, that's the stand. That's the norm. Well, uh, I don't even think Rob knows what we have written down. I just don't know how much we haven't <laughs> prepared. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's uh, let's start with this. Okay, you know, every once in a while. This happens, and after seven years, you'd think that uh, I would I would know better. And sometimes we'll uh, we'll bring up a topic, and somebody will at the last minute will say something like, "Hey, have you checked these guys out?" And uh, my instinct is always to go and check out the link that somebody sends me. The unfortunate part is is that this is a horrible move because what ends up happening is I'll read one or two things on a site or from a ministry, and then I will make a a conclusion or I'll make a uh, suggestion about it and then I will get bombarded with you misrepresented, you misrepresented. And this is the case apparently with Rethinking Hell, the uh, the website that we talked about a very little bit about last show. And this is the, here, here's the thing is that the show that we did on Annihilation, which was last week, um, I stand by my belief in eternal punishment of the wicked. Um, and, and I stand by the passages that, uh, I brought up, uh, with that said, uh, we did mention, I did mention rethinking hell. And the reason I did that was because I had gone on, somebody had sent me a link and said, you should check these guys out. I went and I checked out, uh, two articles that they did. They were by people that, uh, are essentially, now I was corrected on this in the comments, uh, from last show. Somebody said, look, uh, we have multiple people right posts. And some people are untrained and some people are not. I wish I wouldn't have said that because honestly, it doesn't matter whether or not a person has a degree or not. Let's look at the content of what they're saying. So mea copa, mea copa on that one. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, Rethinking Hell is actually ran by Chris Date. Chris Date is a wonderful gentleman. He and I sat down and, and had a conversation for about 45 minutes yesterday. A really nice guy, very well learned, uh, more well learned than I am. I'll, I'll just give you that. Uh, Chris is an adjunct professor at a seminary. He uh, teaches Hebrew and, and Greek. He is uh, He's very knowledgeable about his history and uh, just a super nice guy and very gracious too. Uh, so I uh, I'll give you all that. Uh, so uh, 
all that to say that uh, Chris informed me, and and uh, now now that I've gone back and, and looked a little bit more, I realize there are multiple different views of annihilationism on that site. So on the so not everyone agrees on uh, you know it's not like everybody's part of a denomination and they all agree on the same thing. So with that said, um, different articles on that site are going to bring different views. So the first thing, and I knew this before we even got done with our show last week. As we were finishing up the show last week, I thought I made a comment about eternal punishment of the wicked has been or uh, annihilation theology has been rejected since the since the first century as a heresy. Now, I knew that my wording there was going to come under fire. And as soon as we got done with our show and I and I hung up with Rob, I went online and did a little uh, digging. Yes, that is an incorrect statement. The heresy of annihilation didn't become heresy until the 12th century by the Catholic Church. So that's number one. Number two, around the 45 mark or so, I said, uh, I used the term Gehenna, and I should have used the word Hades, and I apologize. Gehenna is seen by the, the folks at Rethinking Hill as like the eternal fire that people are thrown into and annihilated with. And uh, apparently the uh, belief is, is that no one is in Gehenna at this point. Hades is a by some, not by all of the writers at Rethinking Hell is a, is like a waiting room, essentially, for uh, those who uh, are waiting for judgment, the wicked who are waiting for judgment. And so uh, I, once again, I was wrong. I apologize, and I apologize for misrepresenting uh, uh, the guys at Rethinking Hell. Uh, that that uh, The wording that I used was definitely wrong. They don't believe that, uh, that Gehenna, that people are in Gehenna right now. So... Those are my two, uh, my two misrepresentations of, uh, maybe three, of uh, the guys at Rethinking Hell. I apologize, and uh, I was wrong in, in uh, characterizing them as such. Uh, also, Chris said something about, uh, and we actually got a comment on this as well, uh, Rob said something about Daniel 12.2, and the passage in Daniel mm-hmm. 12.2 is, "...in some to shame and everlasting contempt." Um, so the line of thought there was that, uh, this is an eternal punishment. And, uh, so how could annihilationism be, uh, be correct? I actually agree with Rob's assessment of that. However, the people at Rethinking Hell, Chris Date in particular, uh, said, well, we do believe in eternal punishment. The eternal punishment is not existing. So yeah, I, but the problem with that is then eternal life would mean non-existing. It's like if you live forever, or you have everlasting life or everlasting contempt. I mean, I everlasting means everlasting. I agree with you, and I agree with your assessment of that passage. However, all I'm saying is that the guys at, at Rethinking Hell, at least uh, Chris Date, inform me that yes, they do believe that that punishment is eternal. the The punishment is non-existence, and that is eternal. So, so I think there's some semantics there. Um, but you know, okay, fair enough. I agree with you. I agree with your assessment yeah, of that. I mean, okay. I, I mean, I, I still don't, I still don't get the, the takeaway. To me, it it is, uh, it's like if someone wants to like build a house on that and and put up a flag, it's like not, it's inconsequential for me. But I'll there's, t- I'm not jumping on board. Yeah, I'm, I'm not jumping no, on board either. But there's I'll, no appeal. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it, though. I'll tell you what. The people, and not Chris. Actually, Chris Date was was a, a pleasure to talk to and, and really a lovely person. Um, and not that other people aren't who believe in annihilationism. However, I will say that there are some people who hold to annihilation theory. They, they are 
Uh, they remind me of the uh, Hebrew root cage stage. It's like they they it is their mission <laughs> the to jump on your your YouTube channel and explain to you all theology uh, of of annihilation theory and and how wrong you are. Uh, these people, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, I saw like pitchforks and and torches. Like they they showed up on the YouTube doorstep with you know like ready to burn burn the house down. Uh, very passionate, I will say about those issues. So uh, all of this simply to say I stand by my uh, belief in eternal punishment of the wicked. However, I, I have been misrepresented many times online. One of the things I don't want to do is misrepresent other people and what they believe, and therefore uh, I, my apologies to Rethinking Hell and uh, the, the writers over there and to Chris Date. Um, and I uh, hope that that clears up some of, the, uh, some of what I said last time about Rethinking Hell. And uh, yeah. There you go. This is, but this shows the reason that uh, the next time somebody says, "Hey, you should check these guys out," unless I have a good couple weeks, yeah, I'm not bringing it up. Okay. Um, well, with all of that said, you know what? I think that all of our, you know, I, I did something stupid. I uh, I updated our, our last. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Wait, real quick. Okay. So is Hades? Help me understand this, because okay. I, I frankly, I'm not going to go. I I have other things I do. Um, but is Wait, Hades a place things? of suffering? Okay, so my, what, what I heard you say, yeah, Hades. The Hades are where the wicked wait till the judgment, yeah. and then once the judgment comes, they get thrown into Gehenna and are destroyed with okay. with non-existence. Okay, so is that correct? Fr- from, That's one view, at least, from the way that I understand it, and from the way that that uh, Chris uh, explained it to me. There is differing views on this. Um, and so, by the way, I'm messing with all of the stuff on the screen. So if you think it's too small, that's why. Um, basically, some people believe that Hades is like a waiting room. This is what I understand. And I could be wrong. And this is not a, across the board um, for people. But from what I understand, uh, Hades is seen in different lights by different people. One uh, belief is that it's a waiting room for all people, good and bad. But there's different sections of Hades. So there's like the uh, the Marriott portion of it and then there's the eternal you know like the the not like the motel six portion of it and then there's other beliefs where um some are in paradise and some are and actually chris was uh, chris was gracious enough to actually kind of help me look at uh something that i had mistaken that was out of the uh, baptist confession um anyway so i had misunderstood said something we actually went back together and looked at it and so i mean we had a great conversation anyway um, some people believe that, that, uh, the righteous go into, uh, paradise and the unrighteous go to Hades until the judgment day. Um, and then some believe in soul sleep and some believe in instantaneous, um, almost like being taken out of time or time travel straight to judgment time, judgment day. Uh, so, but I think that, um, and Chris actually was, was telling me that, uh, the majority of you in Christianity and th- this, I did not know is that um, there is some form of a waiting room of Hades and or paradise until Judgment Day. That's the mainstream Christian view. I, I had no clue about that. I actually thought that soul sleep was the, was the dominant view, but uh, I stand corrected. So, um, yeah. All of that to say, thank you, everyone, yeah. and, for and my patience. view, my, my angle on... Well, I have a question, too. Yes. But it, so... In, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus, it says he's in Hades and he's being tormented. Yes. 
now, so he's going to be tormented and, you know, for until judgment day. Yes. So, it, but let's say someone sins worse than not, sorry, in the story of Lazarus, the rich man that's in right. Hades, I, I Lazarus is Lazarus. Sorry, I misspoke. The rich man is in Hades. And so he's suffering for how long until judgment day? Let's say there's someone who sins like way worse, but right before judgment day. So he goes into, he goes into Hades and just suffers for a little while. Whereas this rich man has suffered for a really long time. And then they're both only to be destroyed. Is that, is that kind of the rationale? So anyway, that's just a question I have. Chris, Chris uh, said to me that he doesn't actually uh, hold to that view. And since I don't hold to that, that view, you know, honestly, this has shown me one of my downfalls in, um, in, in my understanding and, and the, uh, the understanding of various views of Hades and, paradise and, you know, versus soul sleep and this, these kind of things. One of the reasons that I haven't looked into this uh, a whole ton is because I, I have never thought, well, it doesn't, I've, I've always thought, well, it doesn't really matter. If you're a believer, then you will be judged uh, judgment day, you know, so who cares if I am conscious until judgment day or if I'm with Christ in paradise, you know, that's kind of the mentality that I've had. However, um, I think that uh, I, I think that I obviously need to sit down and, and do a little bit more research on my own to not because not because I don't feel solid in, in a lot of what I believe in terms of eternal punishment of the wicked, but rather because I am unaware of the various views of what happens up until judgment day. I, I yeah. need to have a better grasp on that. So yeah, that that's that's fair. That's fair. But in but in terms of um you know, there's all sorts of places in the Bible where where I don't think the Bible is designed by God's wisdom. He didn't give us all the answers to the questions we have. He just didn't. Right. Because he says, this is, you know, this is what you need to learn from. This is what you need to grow on. And there's certain things that are going to be a mystery. And so what concerns me is people setting up shop at these locations and and then pushing some kind of it, it almost sounds sensational. Well, here's the thing: is for me, I but, mean, I, I agree anyway. with I agree with what you're saying. However, if we look at some of the great uh, writers of the Puritans and of the Reformers, so for instance, I'm reading Jonathan Edwards right now. Now, I'm not too. Jonathan Edwards has written a lot on this subject, and I haven't <laughs> read what he's what he's written. I'm right now reading what he has to say about uh, Arminian versus uh, free will, uh, free will versus uh, doctrines of grace, and uh, that's where I started. And so I'm, you know, but I'm excited to actually read more of Edwards because I think that he's going to clear some of this up for me, and also probably give me one perspective, and then I'll be able to go and find other perspectives as well. All right, let's uh, first of all let's get a bunch of stuff out of the way here. First of all. Uh, you can call our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. Leave comments in the comment section. Do that because we read every single one of them, and they do help uh, form this show. And also, you can subscribe. Uh, click the subscribe button and like this video. It might not seem like it does a lot, but it actually helps us a ton. And uh, looks like we got a super chat from Mr. Kessler. Lee Kessler has given us a super chat. Thank you, Lee. 
You've been blessed. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, let's move on. <laughs> what are we moving on to? That's a good question. Um, okay. Mr. C writes in, he says, the word amen. I understand the general meaning and use over history in my dealings with and observing assorted Messianic and Hebrew roots communities. I have come across a few teachings that say, state that if you use the common English pronunciation, it is actually offering praise to an ancient Egyptian god. Does this hold any legitimacy? No. <laughs> it holds zero legitimacy. I mean, this if is. In your heart, you're thinking about this Egyptian deity and, you know, whatever that is, and that's what you're saying, then why are you even praying to God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So yeah, that I, I think that this is this is the same kind of word policing that has really plagued what I think of as the Hebrew roots. Right. Um, it's where it's it's the same idea as why you can't say Jesus right. or Christ or why you can't say church. Yep. Or um why you have to learn the right way to say God's name. Because if you even if you say Adonai or if you if you call him Lord, you're actually praying to Baal, who is a Canaanite deity. It, it, all this stuff flocks together, and it's all garbage. Yeah, that's my that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I think uh, y- y- to be honest with you, one of the things that and yeah, one of the things we're just that, talking about Hades. <laughs> Hades in Greek was a Greek god of death, right? Yeah, and it became and the word. Uh, the word Hades was a Greek word that then came to have other ideas about what happens after somebody dies. And then it was translated, Sheol in the Tanakh was translated into Greek as Hades. And so now you have Jews using the Greek word, but they're thinking of it differently than maybe, you know, pagan Greeks are using the word. But the, the Jews who are using the word Hades aren't thinking about, yeah. they're not like, oh yeah, we're mixing Greek religion with, what, what, you're ta- what you're talking about, I mean, the uh, the evolution of language yeah, is something right. that happens in every single society, and it happens in every single language. So, for instance, if you look at the, you know, people always say, oh, well, it's not Jesus. The, the name can't be Jesus because there's no J sound until the 16th century. And that means hail Zeus or something yeah, like And that. I hear this all the time, right? Because we, at, at, at the church that I, help, that I co-pastor, we use Yeshua interchangeably with Jesus. We use Messiah interchangeably with Christ. We use church in, interchangeably with Ecclesia. It doesn't matter. And uh, you'll hear all of those in one sermon or in on one Saturday at our, at our church. And uh, But anyway, the, the point is, is that if you look at even the way that J became a J in the Hebrew, in the English language over time, it is very fascinating. The problem is, is that people don't understand the evolution of language. And so instead of uh, like attributing to the evolution of language what it is, instead they get these harebrained ideas about, oh, it must mean this. And I think a lot of this comes from uh, two Babylons and even Lou White and his fossilized customs. And, you know, basically the Hebrew roots movement has said anything and everything is is pagan. Everything is pagan. You know, it's it's some people well, see like you just said Saturday. People say, "Oh, I can't believe you said because that's Saturn's day." So now you're yeah. talking about Saturn, and it's not the planet that you're talking about. It's it's like a deity, and this is what I mean by word policing. Right, right, yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, the 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 point is, is that uh, some people see demons be- behind every rock. You know, oh, you know, you have a, you know, you have a, a sore neck today. That's a demon. I got to tell you this, my son, bless his heart. My son asked if he could read the the portion that we were gonna uh, read on on Shabbat, and it was Exodus twelve, no Exodus ten, Exodus ten. And uh, so I said, "Yeah, buddy, absolutely." He's eight years old. So then he got up, he read the whole passage, did great. You know, only had to help him help him on a, on a couple of words. And afterwards, we were driving home, and he goes, "Dad, you know that that feeling I get in my stomach when I when I uh, go on Splash Mountain?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I got that feeling right before I got up to read. I think it was Satan." trying to discourage me from reading the Bible, preaching the word in front of people. It's like, <laughs> nice. All right. But the point is, is that some people see de- no matter what's going on, it must be a demon. And I don't hold to that. Certainly, I think that we can say that demons obviously affect things and, and work against us. But the idea that everything that happens that's bad must be a demon and everything and every word or every celebration, oh, and festival or oh the fourth of july that's pagan come on people you know what are you doing uh, I, th- I think that uh i think there's a want to i don't know if that comes from a want to uh genuinely serve the lord or a want to be better than other people i hope it comes from a, a want to serve the lord but sometimes i think it's just that people think that they're better if i do this and i i, I look holier than you well this is this is what yeshua means by clean the inside of the cup right first people who are interested in cleaning the outside of cup start you know getting to all this detail and then it comes we we learn in the long run that wow you know everybody who was taken by externals were you know going for a ride taken for a ride and then all of a sudden the whole system the whole house falls and you see the difference that there's a difference between inside. What is inside eventually comes out. Yeshua says there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. So clean your inside of your cup. And, and that has to do with loving God, loving others. And that's the hardest. Those are the hardest commandments, right? Those are the hardest commandments. It doesn't mean don't do other commandments. It just means that we have to have our priorities right. Exactly. Otherwise, otherwise, we're always going to find fault in others. We're going to be looking at other people rather than dealing with our own sin and looking at our own heart and spending time with the Lord, seeking Him and seeking to be renewed and, and transformed in our own mind. But fixing vocabulary is way down on the list. Right. It's yeah. important. It, it's important to understand terms and to understand words correctly. Don't get me wrong, but if you're on it, but it's real easy to abandon the heavy things and start going after little things, and then you get the little things wrong. Right. And that's where that's what I'm talking about. People sell, setting up shop on these on these marketplace corners where there's uh, where the scriptures just aren't clear, and you know people sell in clarity when the Bible, in fact, I don't think that's the main point of what the scriptures teaching. Well, I, I mean, think the point yeah. the point about the point about punishment of the wicked should scare, you know, should it should ter- be terrifying, and it should instill the, the the fear of God, and to then to move from there and say, yeah, but that's not really what's important. What's important is that we have this detail as to how long it is or how bad it is. Now all of a sudden we're 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 uh, quibbling over minutia that that now has distracted us from the reality 
of the call to repentance and the consequences of, of being without God. And that, so that's where I'm at. All right, let's move on. Good discussion. Thank you, Mr. C, who I think actually just showed up. We, you're going to have to go back and watch because we answered one of your questions. Okay. Isaiah, I think it's that, and, and you know, like we learned like Tutankhamun, right? Yep. Tutankhamun, that's that word. And this gets back, this one last note, I know you want to move. We talked about it earlier. I think someone, Corey or someone said, hey, what about if I've got a book in my library right. that has like, it's about ancient Egypt and there's a section on religion there and it's got pictures of of the Egyptian uh, paintings, you know, and inscriptions. And then it's got translations from the book of the dead. You know, it's, should I get that out of my house? Does that, you know, and, or if I read that book, am I transgressing? And so I see this kind of touches in that same area. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. All right. We're going to move on. Isaiah says, I was looking at Colossians. 2, 11 through 13. I'll read that here for in a second for everyone. And I know that this is one of the verses people use to say baptism replaces circumcision. Can I get your guys' take on how this passage's, uh, passage doesn't teach that? Here's the passage in question. We're in Colossians 2. By the way, I think that uh, my con- the, the church that I uh, help pastor doesn't know this yet, but I think we're moving to Colossians. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be working in Colossians here, which will be fun. Um, so Colossians 2, 11 through 13 says, In him also you were circumcised with, the, with a circumcised... I'm sorry, let me start again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All right. So do you want to, you want to jump on this what, first? What translation, what translation? I was reading, reading ESV. ESV. Oh, you said that, I guess. Um, so the question is specifically what? The question is, uh, this passage is usually used to say that baptism replaces circumcision. Can you tell us basically how it doesn't? Oh, gotcha. I have baptism. some views on this that might spark some conversation. I've been dealing... I've well, been... the first, the verse 11... Oh, go ahead. You, you go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was say, so verse 11, I just pulled up the net Bible just because for some reason my computer went to that one. Uh, in him... You also were circumcised, not however with circumcision performed by hands, but by the removal of the fleshy body, that is through the circumcision done by Christ. Now the done by, I don't like, it's just this, it's the circumcision of Christ. Um, when we, in Galatians, Paul says, you know, he, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When we, the circumcision is being talked about here is, is, us being acknowledged by God as his child. So this is a true, this is as true for a woman as it is for a man. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this is called, this is a, a, a poetic way of talking about being born from above or being born again or coming to faith or, you know, all these different ways that we talk about uh, what it means to, to be, a genuine member of the covenant. This is, and, and that it's done without hands. That means another human does not initiate me into the covenant. God himself as a father 
initiates me into the covenant and that he puts me in Messiah. Like it says in John, he said, he's Yeshua says to the father, all you have given me are mine. And I have, I have kept all of them except one who's the, the son of perdition. And so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. So, um, so even that is Yeshua saying that, you know, Judas was appointed to be the son of perdition. And that was just it. I mean, that gets into our whole other chap, uh, chapter. We talk about predestination and everything. But what it, what Paul's talking about here in verse 11 is something that it's not talking about males or females. He's talking about what it means to be uh, grafted in or part of or an heir of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. It's not separate from Messiah. There's no access to the blessings of that covenant for any generation. Doesn't matter. I totally agree with you. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bring a little bit more into the, to the conversation here. I think that he's actually talking about two different covenants here. Now, I I believe that he's talking, the, the, the imagery is of the, of the Abrahamic covenant, circumc- circumcision, right, is the, is the imagery that's being used, but not the circumcision of the Abrahamic covenant, right? <clears throat> the Abrahamic covenant isn't done away with, obviously. Oh, we, right, right. We know right. that, but now we're talking about the circumcision of the heart, and this is actually new covenant language, right? That God will put this, the, the covenant yeah, on the thank heart. thank you. That's the other one, that he writes the Torah on the heart, right. Okay, so, but, but here's, the, here's the thing that uh, I've been toying with. So every covenant has a sign, Right. So, for instance, the Abrahamic covenant, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. Sign of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath. Right. So what is the sign of the new covenant? And I've been I've been pondering and and looking into the scriptures to see if uh, this my thought is correct or not. I'm I'm not 100 percent on this yet, but I think that that one of the signs of the new covenant or the sign of the new covenant is baptism. Mm hmm. And so when a person is baptized, it, it, and this comes about, you know, this is done within time. So for instance, uh, the Sabbath is established from the, from the seventh day of creation, right? S- seventh day of the world, we have the Sabbath. However, it's not established as the sign of the Mosaic Covenant until when? Obviously, in time, it's when the Mosaic Covenant is established at Sinai. Okay, well, in the same way, baptism is, is established as the sign of the uh, New Covenant, once Christ comes, and, and and we see it even before, right? Because uh, John the Baptist is is baptizing uh, for repentance. But this becomes, and Romans 6 talks a lot about this, um, this becomes the sign of the new covenant. And so a person is baptized, showing the death and resurrection of Christ, and this shows entrance into the new covenant. Now, this doesn't mean that circumcision with hands isn't done, because, uh, isn't done anymore, because all of the covenants work together. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the new covenant without the Abrahamic covenant, right? Um, and so the idea that you would do away with one, and Hebrews talks about this, one co- a covenant that comes 430 years later doesn't annul the, the previous covenant. And so the idea that the Abrahamic right. covenant would go away and therefore we don't need the Abrahamic covenant anymore is ridiculous. No, all of the covenants work together in unison and all of the covenants, the covenant is written on the heart. What covenant is that? Well, I think it's all of the covenants. I don't think that you can actually have the, you can't split the covenants up. That's my, that's my uh, idea on this passage. 
is that you see the circumcision of the heart being a motif of God writing the Torah on the heart, which is the which is a, it's somewhat of a sign, but it's not really the the sign of the new covenant. It's what happens in the new covenant. God writes the Torah on the heart, as opposed to in Deuteronomy where it says, "Place this this Torah in your heart." God tells us to place it in our heart in Deuteronomy, but in the new covenant, God writes it on the heart, right? And so this is the imagery, and so baptism is the sign of this uh, uh, entrance into the into the new covenant. Do, are you tracking with me? Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. See, I guess I'm right. Uh, Caleb, Rob, you're always right, man. Rob, Rob agrees. <laughs> I'm on good ground here. Okay. Should we move on? Let's move on. Paul, Mr. Archer, who's in the uh, in the chat room right now. He writes what? in. What? What? He writes in and he says, "I noticed that the weekly Sabbath was a death penalty if you were caught doing any wrong, uh, any work rather." Exodus thirty-five two and Numbers fifteen thirty-two through thirty-six. But when reading all the commandments in the Torah about observing the f- uh, festival Sabbath, festival Sabbaths, pardon me, there is no mention of any death penalty if you were to work on any of those Sabbaths. I purposely omit Leviticus 23, 29 through 30 about Yom Kippur, as I don't believe the word destroy, avad, is referring to a death sentence. Correct me if I'm wrong. That being said, my two questions are, number one, is the weekly Sabbath a weightier matter of observance versus the festival Sabbath? Uh, Because it is a covenant sign between God and his people and therefore carries a heavier punishment. So that's the first question. The second question is, would the death penalty be implied for all Sabbaths, even though it's not explicitly in the text? Do you want to go first, or would you like me to? Wow, this is, it's a great question. Um, yeah, there, there's, I think they're all, the, the point of the festival Sabbaths that are more lenient, is that the idea? That there are? yes. I, Festival Sabbaths are more lenient. I think it has to do with, with the needs of people. Remember, the, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And God just, he, he it's, it's a workable scenario, right? It's not difficult. Like what he's at, what he asks of us is not really difficult. And he makes it, he, he accommodates things. So he allows, for example... Is it, I'm going to be, I, I'm going to probably mix it up. Is it the the f- first day of unleavened bread? First day and the, the seventh day is the Sabbath. Is this, and then the, that, that you can prepare food on the first day. Is that it? Uh, I, you, I'm you, sorry. You, yeah, you can, my pre- brain is totally. You, you can prepare, uh, you can prepare uh, the Sabbath or you can prepare the uh, festival lamb if it's a Sabbath. If it's a weekly yeah. Sabbath. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, okay. If Nissan, so 14, a, if Nissan fourteen falls on a weekly Shabbat, you can right. you can still prepare the the lamb. Right, and I think I think the in the rabbinic calendar they there's always an avoidance of Yom Kippur being on right. a weekly Sabbath. Right. So which so which th- it's a good question. Going. It's a, it's a halakhic question, you know, in terms of. Um, uh, punishment, you know, what, what would punishment be? Uh, and boy, I, I don't know that I'm equipped to, to answer that. I know that it's one of the regular Shabbat is part of the 10 words. So it's like one of the big 10, I suppose you say. Um, 
all of which have a death penalty. Right? I mean, it, as a matter of fact, Yeshua cites the honored mother and father to the Pharisees that are getting all worked up about whether someone washed their hands or not. Uh, and so, um, certainly, and he says, whoever curses a father or mother will die to death, right? He, he cites that passage. So, um, so I think all the 10 words are that way. They're, they're death penalty. Um, the, the, the Sabbaths on the feast days um, are, are interesting, are, so, are so, interesting. So you got a lot going on here, and the, and the reason why is because uh, first of all, we could uh, we could get into an extremely large halakhic conversation. That's uh, if you don't know what the word halakhic means, that's like the way that we live out our faith. Um, and the reason why is because okay, we have uh, for instance, uh, we have the idea that uh, if you if you're too far off and you can't celebrate the Passover, then you can come a month later and celebrate the Passover. Okay, if that's the case, let's say that I'm off in Corinth and I don't have the 412 nautical mile uh, journey uh, ability to go to the festival. I'm going to do it in a month instead. Um, so I don't celebrate Passover on the normal time. Does that mean that those Passovers, and let's say that the that Nissan 15 is actually on a Wednesday, does that mean that I can work on that Wednesday? Or is it still a Sabbath? So, I mean, those kind of conversations come into play. So that's number one. Number two, I'm going to go back to my roots here, and I'm going to cite the Westminster uh, Confession along with the Baptist 1689 Confession, which, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, basically say that uh, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so if we have questions about how a Sabbath is to be observed and or what penalties would come for uh, breaking a Sabbath, we all we have to do is look at the other scriptures to see, uh, have those scriptures interpret these scriptures. And therefore, the weekly Sabbath uh, and the penalties that would come along with those Sabbaths, uh, if we don't see a penalty for breaking a festival Sabbath, we must interpret through the weekly Sabbath uh, penalties. That's how I would interpret it. Um, and so, therefore, it is my belief that uh, the the uh, festival Sabbaths would have a death penalty uh, in those instances because the weekly Sabbath does, and therefore, Scripture interprets Scripture. And 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 we have to remember that the account in, for example, in the Book of Numbers, where the man is gathering sticks on the Shabbat, right, and then they Moses says, "What do we do with this guy? We know this is bad," and the Lord says, "Stone him." Yep. That was that was high-handed sin. That was we, you know, we're in the wilderness. God's He gives us manna six days. We get two days of manna on the sixth day. We rest on. I mean, everybody's of the same rhythm. And this guy goes out. This isn't like, oh, I accidentally, you know, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't know what it would be. But the idea is, this is the, the Torah situation there and is it numbers 15 i'm sorry i'm i don't remember where it is i think i want to say numbers 15 but I it's could be snowing wrong. outside and rob's brain is is frozen today it is <laughs> i had a bad drive this morning in the snow is what we call that white knuckle driving slip slippery um but <laughs> yeah but i think that that the idea it's again back to the fear of god all right um if yeah. if someone is loves god and you sin, right? You, you, you're quick to correct. Even David, it says, you know, David is a man after God's heart. 
even David in his, after he did wickedness, and I'm not advocating, I'm saying turn from evil, turn from sin, but he, he committed adultery and then he essentially lied and deceived trying to cover it up. And he ended up committing murder of Uriah by sending, having Joab taking him out right into the battle and abandoning him. Even David came to, to repentance because he realized, you know, that he loves God and that, that, that this is, uh, um, this was all horrible sin and he confessed it. And that's what God wants. God's God's, you know, wants those who worship him in, in spirit and in truth. And so when it comes to like nuance like this, it's a great question. And I'm not equipped to answer it with any substantive, you know, information, but uh, I think if someone is, deliberately breaking the Shabbat, they're really not going to care about the festival Shabbat either. Yeah. Um, so th- there's a, there's another conversation that's been started uh, inadvertently. It's just a single question. MC and LC say, is there still a death penalty in Yeshua? Absolutely. And the reason why is because temporally, if you do something wrong, there are consequences. If, if I'm a believer in Yeshua and, uh, and you know, I, I don't know. I have too much to drink and I go and I accidentally hit somebody with my car and kill them. Guess what? It's, I don't get to say, oh, well, you know, I, I believe in Christ, so I, I'm good. No, there, there are consequences for actions. And if, uh, and if a person does something wrong, they deserve the consequence of that. I mean, ultimately, this is one of the reasons that I, I think that uh, teachers who falsely prophesy need to stop being teachers. In other words, there is a consequence, and the same would go for adultery. If you're a pastor or a teacher and you commit adultery, uh, I think that that there's no reason that that person should ever be considered a teacher again. In other words, they should be taken out of that position. The same with false prophets. Um, it, within the Torah, that person would be stoned. Now, we're not going to, obviously, we don't have the ability to stone people for doing stuff. People have to go before courts today. And uh, if the... Uh, oh, for breaking the Sabbath. MC and LC clarify for breaking the Sabbath. Is there still a, a death penalty for breaking the Sabbath? Um, no, not in our modern time. But I believe that Yeshua will come back and reign from from uh, Jerusalem, and the Torah will go forth from Jerusalem. And in that instance, yes, we will see the law. I mean, we see even— This has a strange parallel with punishment of—they were talking about, like, you know, rethinking hell or whether there is a hell or whatever— um, in any case, we have the same thing like with the horrific cli- uh, crime of rape, right? right? In the Bible, that's death penalty. Right. So, but we live in a society that it isn't going to enforce that death penalty on that case, even if it's convicted. I mean, very rarely it would have to be, there would have to be all sorts of other stuff, probably, I would think, to get the death penalty and then for it to actually happen. Okay, so what's going on? What about the difference? Well, it's not that God is more lenient now than he was. God hasn't changed. The, the seriousness of God's commandments have not changed. And the, the, the gravity of our fear of God and our love of God should be prime in our life, right? That's the, to fear sin, to be, you know, to, to, um, 
to seek first the kingdom of God and, 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 and to pray, uh, you know, without ceasing and all this. That's that's where the Bible is is instructing believers to be. Actually, not, no, wait, wait, what you're saying what you're saying is absolutely right in, in in the sense that not having the death penalty for things like rape, murder, <laughs> and even the Sabbath should make us as believers long for the coming of the king, where he will establish his law and his law yeah, will be. Yeah, exactly. We also lack justice. Right. We, I mean, how many people are there just in our country alone who, who cry out for justice, who, that don't get it, and then how many people have been unjustly prosecuted by the system and they cry out for real justice, and they and they're not getting it, and then how many people are getting away with how many wealthy, powerful politicians get away with all sorts of lie, cheating, killing, and retain and and. We still we cry out for justice, and it gets it it gets covered up, and then no one ever knows, and they never get consequences. Okay, God knows all these things. That's why you know nothing hidden that won't be revealed. That's a comforting instruction. Those are comforting words for me from Yeshua. Is it because if I there's no wor- no sense for me to get worried all worried up that someone's not getting their just desserts or that some you know he says just remember. Pray always, he says in Luke, about the the persistent widow. She's like he's like there's a village, there's a, a a judge there that doesn't fear God, but the widow keeps coming to her to him over and over again to get justice. Finally, it's not because he fears God; it's because he just wants her to stop knocking at his door. She'll finally give he'll finally give her justice. Well, he says if that's true, how much more will your heavenly Father, you know, bring justice for the elect? But but it doesn't come when we want it. It comes on in his timing when justice comes. Right. So um, these are all good questions. Uh, well, you haven't even touched on the the believers who are being persecuted in in other countries. Oh boy. You know, I mean, how we? I think that oftentimes, and I know that there's people even in the chat room right now who don't live in the in the Americas. But I mean, how many times do we here in America or in Canada? Think to our think. Oh, we're so you know. Oh no, we're so persecuted. I don't know if we think persecuted, but you know, uh, this is so wrong. But I mean, if you look at other countries, we have it very. Uh, we are living a life of luxury um, compared to many places in the world where where believers are are really being persecuted, and the longing for the Messiah to come and to rule from from Jerusalem is, I mean, it's intense, right? And so I think, especially in persecution, we see the the want and the longing for the coming of the Messiah. So I think in the same way, when we see injustice happening, you know, and honestly, this is one of the things I I, uh, I always think people bring up, oh, like homosexuality. Do you really think homosexuals should be stoned today? And it's like, well, I believe in God's law. Now, I don't think that we should go out and grab stones and start pelting people on the streets. Right. But I think that we as believers should uh, should long for the justice that God will bring. And until that justice is brought, we should remember that everyone potentially could come to Christ. And so we need to preach Christ, and we need to love people and show the love of our Messiah to others around us, especially the sinners. And so I'm not, please don't hear me advocating uh, like, oh, you know, go mistreat people that you disagree with or mistreat people that are sinning. 
Rather, I think it's an opportunity for us, uh, as long as justice isn't being met, uh, met out right now by the Almighty God, uh, let's take the time and try to bring some of these people to Christ. That's, I mean, I think that that's very important. All right. Should we still, should we keep going? We have, we got 10 minutes left. Let's, uh, let's do one more. Um, Elizabeth Young says, are man-made traditions wrong for believers to practice? No. In my conversations with others within the Torah observant community, I hear that we should get rid of man-made traditions while they continue to read Torah portions. (laughs) So this is a great point. In other words, the Torah portions are man-made portions, right? Anyway, um, and and this goes back to our earlier conversation about uh, everything is pagan. Anyway, are we failing to properly distinguish between a tradition that is of pagan origins versus a simple tradition that is not used to avoid the law, but uh, even serve to confirm it? Uh, I'm realizing that when it comes to establishing or observing traditions, the scriptures provide ample enough parameters on how to carry them out within the Father's guidelines for those who choose to consciously participate. With that said, why do most in this walk choose to remember Hanukkah and not the Nativity? Christ was present at both of them, was he not? Thanks so much. So, I mean, th- there's a lot going on here. First of all, we have the um, we have the notion that uh, tradition is bad. Tradition is not bad, and and this move within uh, within the Torah movement, or at least some facets of it, to say that tradition is bad is nonsense. I think that there is a po- a, a point where tradition overpowers. Um, and becomes necessity for people. And I think that that's bad. In other words, if you're holding your tradition on the same level as the scriptures, uh, and we see this happen within the within the um, Torah movement as well, right? You'll have people that say, oh, well, the, the, the rabbis, they're, you know, they're divinely sanctioned by God. Therefore, they're, they're on the same, you know, their commands are on the same level as, as the Bible. This is nonsense. And this is when uh, your traditions have become an idol. Honestly, so traditions can become an idol. I, I do believe that, um, but ultimately, there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they point us to God. Uh, in terms of the nativity and Hanukkah, I think that's a little bit different matter, and the reason why is because those who are going to say we shouldn't celebrate Christmas, I'm one of those people. I don't celebrate Christmas, and neither does my family. Um, there's a reason for that. It's not just that it's man-made tradition. Instead, the uh, the idea of Christmas. Uh, and I know that there's been uh, people who have said that there's nothing pagan about Christmas. I personally believe that uh, pay, that there is some paganism that has uh, influenced Christmas, and therefore that is one of the reasons I don't celebrate it. So th- it's not just that it's a tradition of the nativity, and that's why I don't celebrate it, but I do celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is definitely a tradition, um, and there's no command, obviously, to celebrate Hanukkah. And honestly, if I truly believe that there was nothing within the Christmas celebration that was of pagan origin, um, I, I would have no problem celebrating that. I mean, I wouldn't bring a tree into my house, but at the same, but I love that smell. Doesn't everybody love the smell of a Christmas tree, right? You walk into somebody's house who's got a Christmas tree, you're like, ah, pine, right? It's delicious. Go ahead, Rob. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, well, we need tradition. You can't you can't do any Torah commandment without making it human. You know, making it an expression of your love of God, right. or or something. Which means it's going to have your. There's going to be uniqueness. There's going to bring some sort of uniqueness, and you know, 
family tradition as anybody who's part of a family are very meaningful. Um, things that uh, are part of celebrations that might not be commanded, but are brought in and are regular and bring enjoyment and anticipation. I think those are all good. Uh, so Yeshua just says, you can't put, you can't, uh, there's a hierarchy that has to be maintained. The word of God is, is the unchanging authority. Traditions of men change from village to village, from location to location. And so for some, for one local city to say their tradition must be kept by, like at a federal level for every group everywhere, that's just now all of a sudden you're, you're, uh, you've got it upside down. Right. And now you're putting man and man me and culture and local custom as some sort of uh, bar to judge other people that aren't doing it the same way, but have, but share the value of God's word. And so um, I think it's, it's so good. You know, the, another bit is language, you know, is it, do we need to all learn Hebrew? Right, because Greek is pagan. Is Greek pagan? So now, is what in terms of the languages of men? Now, are some languages better than others? You know, and all, all this stuff comes into me into the same kind of big, big box of of questions, and they pertain to how does how does the believer today be in the world that we're in, where we're planted, and interact with with and engage with the eternal word of God and the, you know, the eternal walk with the eternal God, you know, and, and uh, what's the proper place of the scriptures of his word in our growth, in our walk with him. And there's a, there's a hierarchy there that, that has to stay in place. Because if I start thinking I'm more special, you know, or I'm, uh, or, you know, or what do they call self-important, or if I have a, a prideful self view, or or what does it say? You know, and throw out the the leaven of malice and and uh, uh, you know like a leaven, and so that the sincerity, the the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that's who we really are in Messiah. And uh, traditions, I think, are good, and they have a place, but we have a clear mandate and warning from Yeshua himself in the gospels that you got to keep that thing in its right place. It's got to stay put. And uh, because bad things happen, bad things happen when you, when you try to put something above the word of God and then call it and then sprinkle God on it. Right. Yeah. And we've seen this, we've seen this all over. We've seen this in the, in the synagogue. We've seen it in the church. We've seen it in the uh, Torah movement. Right. It's, I mean, it's part of being human, I think, is to uh, try to make things on par with God. And, but, uh, you know, the synagogue, like you mentioned, you know, the synagogue, reading the law and the prophets on the Shabbat, that's sure. that's a good tradition. Oh, yeah. The other traditions are things like the the circumlocution of, of God's name, you know, Adonai, uh, Lord, you know, Kurios, you know, uh, Mara, all these, these are... Uh, uh, good things used by the apostles, Yeshua, and they were used by other Jews besides, you know, uh, Yeshua and the apostles, other second temple Jews. And that is 
a good tradition. Right. Yep. So. All right. Well, hey, everybody. It's been fun and it's been real. Uh, we hope that uh, you had fun with it. If you have a question or a comment or something like that, you can do multiple things. The number one thing and the first thing you should do is put a comment in the uh, comment section of YouTube. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. You can also shoot us a voicemail, 253-465-3205. It is 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email if you don't want to leave a message. You can shoot us an email, chegg, it's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com, C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. And then, of course, um, go to TorahResource.com and find all sorts of uh, resources, free stuff, paid stuff, whatever. Uh, you can find all sorts of stuff there. By the way, I do want to make this uh, known to people. I asked probably two months ago if, um, if uh, we could get some volunteers to do some work for us uh, for the show. We had a great response for that, and a lot of people sent an email saying that they'd be happy to, to help us. Um, and what we're waiting for right now is we actually just got word that uh, uh, messiahmatters.com is ready to be transferred over to our servers. Once that's up and running, and then once we actually get a, um, a website up and running, that's when we'll reach back out to the people who said they'd volunteer, and we will um, we'll, we'll start having some people help us. Uh, catalog and uh, do some other things like that uh, and write show notes is kind of one of the things I'm thinking might actually happen so um, people will be able to get show notes after the show uh, with links and stuff like that all, all that kind of stuff so um, I haven't forgotten about you you find you find folks that have offered to volunteer we do appreciate it all righty well we will be back next week we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.